The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. My athletes took it really hard, what was happening in the CrossFit space. Like, they love this so much, yet they're also incredibly values-based. They have very strong moral compasses. They didn't feel like they could represent this sport. Um, yeah. And so that took a massive toll on them. Basically, their, their entire careers were, for a short time, their careers were over. Like that's, yeah. so that took a big emotional toll on them as well. Us to have a little bit, and it's not a little bit, to have an extra six weeks to prepare for this thing is, is wow, that's nice to have. That's a silver lining for sure. Yeah. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run. Always chasing. Never stop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing good. Thanks, Patrick. Where are you today? You're in a gym that I'm not familiar with. I'm on Cape Cod in a gym called Upper Cape CrossFit. Mm, that's upper Cape. Cool. Are they, um, are they open? Are they in, in the, in the kind of the half step open or where are they at? Yeah. They're, I think where most people are in the half step, they're doing parking lot workouts. Um, but this is my, we come down here for the month of July and this is my, my working office cause they have Wi-Fi. So this is, a, <laughs> that's funny. Okay. Cool. So today we're gonna um, we're gonna do something we actually haven't done in a while because we've been doing these remote episodes and um, we've been trying to stay relatively timely, relatively topical. Um, and we're gonna do that again a little bit today. But we're gonna we're gonna dive back into a three by three. Um, a three by three is when I give you uh, three ideas or three topics and you kind of give us your three hot takes on those three ideas. And so today we're going to talk about three silver linings that you're paying attention to these days, three factors that most determine performance, um, and then three uh, three signs that will tell you that CrossFit HQ is on the right track. Um, and so we'll we'll begin with the silver linings. And and mostly what I was thinking about here is you know it's really easy to get uh, focused on all of the negative, focused on all the things that aren't going right, focused on all the things that we wish were doing better. But I wonder what you're seeing out there in the world as you start paying attention. Um, that, uh, that's, that's makes you at least a little bit hopeful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so certainly during a, a pandemic and everything that's going on in the world right now, um, and then the, the tumultuous times inside of CrossFit, um, yeah. it's, it's easy to focus on the negatives. So, um, I, I'm, wouldn't necessarily say I'm a glass half full type guy, but I, I'd say I'm a, a realist. But it's um, with that comes um, the awareness level of of what is happening um, and the goods, the bads, and the middles as well. So here's some of the, the yeah. positives that I'm definitely seeing um, right now. And the first one has to do with the CrossFit space, and it's so timely because of where we are right now. But um, the the new leadership that we have in place. I think that the yep. the new um, you know we went through some uh, a, a tough few weeks a month 
um, where a lot of people didn't know what was going to happen to this thing that we loved so much, this thing that we felt such a part of a community and it was part of our identities. And we, we, um, we thought for a while that we might have to step to the outside of it. Well, um, Greg Glassman sold CrossFit to Eric Rosa, who is a 10 year affiliate owner. And I was able to talk to Eric this week, um, had an hour long conversation with him. And that's, I mean, a silver lining is the understatement. I mean, I'm, I am ecstatic with what's, uh, what's coming down the pipeline. So, um, you know, I think that he has, um, a lot of work ahead of him. The, the, the community needs some healing. Um, we need to, um, have some additional support. Um, but I think that he is the right guy. I'm, I'm over the moon with, um, how excited I am about him taking over the leadership uh, responsibilities at HQ. Awesome. Number two. Number two. Um, kind of super high level, but this has been a, uh, a, we- a weird year to say the least. Um, one of the, it started with, well, it started actually with like, I think Australia burning and then Kobe Bryant dies. Yeah, that's and then, true. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. then we get into the, the COVID stuff um, and then Black Lives Matter movement. And I'm going to center on that one. I think that there is a massive silver lining with um, this Black Lives Matter movement. I, I, essentially, it's what we've done is thrust to the forefront this um, issue of systematic racism in America. And if we come out of this weird year with greater, uh, just even greater awareness, and I hope it takes steps beyond that, but even the awareness level, and I'll be the first to raise my hand and say that um, it has been, it has moved the awareness um, needle for me. Um, I obviously understood that there was um, a, acute racism, like like um, the extremes, yeah. right? There was the KKK, and there was um, you know really bad, and like there's the the extreme cases. What I didn't realize is how um, systemic it was, and how prevalent it was, and um, omnipresent it was, and what this strange times and movement has allowed me to do is had some conversations with some uh, people that I respect immensely who um, are black people. And when they kind of laid out to me how they struggle with this on a daily basis, it really opened my eyes to the issues that are at hand that we need to fix. So I think a a big, you know, yeah, it's terrible that there is police brutality and these, um, and the clash that's happening in terms of the riots and people are losing their homes and um, communities are burning. But if we are able to come out of this with a higher level of awareness, at least, and if not better, some actual changes, um, this is going to be a powerful time that we all look back upon, I think, in a positive way. Yeah, we talk about a lot the the notion of you can't fix it until you're aware of it, right? Totally. I think awareness is always yeah. step one. Even, yeah. Yeah, even when it sucks to, to, to be reminded of what you are not yet aware of. Um, okay, that was number two. What's number three? Number th- uh, third silver lining that you're seeing. Well, it's, it's kind of a, maybe a, a selfish one and maybe one that isn't going to affect that many other people, but the fact that they've moved back the day to the CrossFit Games. <laughs> so hmm. with, the, um, with the, the pandemic and with the social distancing um, and with the CrossFit HQ crisis, 
I've been pulled away from a lot of my coaching responsibilities of the athletes. Um, and mm. to have a longer runway before the world championships, the games, to in order to kind of refocus and prepare my athletes um, is going to be is like um, more than a silver lining. It's like a blessing. Like, yeah, you know, my athletes took it really hard. What was happening in the CrossFit space? Like, they love this so much. Yet they're also incredibly values based. They have very strong moral compasses. They f- didn't feel like they could represent this sport. Um, yeah. And so that took a massive toll on them. Basically, they, their entire careers were, for a short time, their careers were over. Like that's, yeah. So that took a big emotional toll on them as well. Us to have a little bit, and it's not a little bit, to have an extra six weeks to prepare for this thing is, is wow, that's nice to have. That's a silver lining for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, sort of unrelated, but not really, because I've been wondering about it or thinking about it. I noticed that when all of this went down and people started standing up and saying, we, you know, we won't tolerate this, um, your athletes were the first ones to really do so. You know, Katrin especially, but Cole wasn't far behind. Um, I think Brooke wasn't far behind either. And I'm just curious, I guess two questions. One, how unified were they because I know they're all friends, they're, they all talk all the time. How unified were they in this, in, in their response? But also maybe more importantly, do you work with them because they're the type of people who are willing to stand up even when their own livelihoods might be on the line? Or do you think that that's something that's been developed with the work that you guys do together? Do you have a sense of maybe what came first? And, and I've talked with Katrin about this a lot over the last few weeks. Um, and what she said is, you know, because I, I was like, you know, I was like, first off, um, it was a not a, it was not discussed. It was not let's present a unified front. It was. Yep. I believe that each individual athlete has the right to stand up for what they believe in individually. I don't think that they need yep. to conform to my or the other athlete's belief system, moral compass, or anything otherwise. But Katrin, I, I. I've had the conversation with Catherine a number of times and it's, it's started with like, I'm really proud of how quickly and decisively, um, our, 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 our team took a stance and said, I'm not going to do this, even though it's like, I mean, this is the only thing these guys do. So it's not a light decision that they didn't think about, but essentially what they said is like that we've done so much work defining our values and our principles. I mean, this is like, when, when they come to work with us, um, when they come to, so we've had, I'm out in Cape Cod right now. I've had the athletes come yep. to Cape Cod where we spend weeks together and the morning, an hour every morning is, send, is centered around um, self-awareness, introspection. Um, who am I? What am I? What do I stand for? What does success mean to me? Um, what is my belief system? What is my moral compass? What is the legacy I want to leave? Um, why do I do this sport in the first place? Yeah. So yep. I'm big. I'm a big believer in um, understanding yourself and having really bright lines about what it is that you're chasing and why you're chasing it. Because I believe that affects athletes on the competition floor. Better people make better athletes is the, one of the sayings that we've kind of used a lot. And what that means is people with stronger character. Now, usually that means grit, resilience, fortitude, yeah. toughness. Like, but it also means values-based, principle-centric, 
moral compass. It's like those things come with it. Because what we say is one of the first things we do is like, let's, let's identify and define our values. And it's not just like a put words on a piece of paper and move on to the next page. And we, we, I give them time, sometimes uh, days to think about it. And then we share it. And then we challenge each other on what do those things mean and what you're doing when you create that, when you go through that exercise is you're in peacetime, you're deciding ahead of time what your actions, decisions, and behaviors will be in wartime. So what you've said is like when, when there is no emotions, when there is no urgency, when there is no... Um, cost of trade-offs. Who am I and what do I want to stand for? And then when it comes to it and there's lots of social pressure or there's lots of um, careers riding on this, you can fall back on those principles that you decided on beforehand. And that's something that we've spent a lot of time doing. So when I had this conversation, I said, I'm really proud of our athletes. You know, I'm really proud of you, Katrin, Cole, Amanda and Brooke for being so decisive when the rest of the the community, I don't say the rest of, there was a, there's a handful of people that took quick, massive action. Um, but the majority of athletes kind of wanted to wait and see. And she's like, uh, she's like, you shouldn't be surprised. Like, this is what we talk about all the time. So, um, and she's like, and I'm so proud of that. You know, she was really, this was a, a big moment for her, um, to be able to stand by, um, her belief system and let that guide, um, the way she responded to this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay. That was three silver linings you're paying attention to plus another uh, question or two in there. Uh, next one, three factors that most determine performance. And I've, I've intentionally let performance be as broad or specific as you'd like to make it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's, let's take this two different ways then because it is so broad. I will yeah. take the actual, what I believe to be scientific answer to that on a big, massive macro scale. And then I'll whittle it down into a little bit more of controllables and, um, um maybe potentially into a more micro scale. So here's my take on three, because I'm going to restate it. Cause I think the way that you question this it matters, three factors that, most determined performance. So performance is mm-hmm. ability, right? So to me, that is the first one there. And I, I hate to admit this because I am not the kind of guy that um, is genetics. It is mm-hmm. your DNA. It is your, um, your, your born talent. If you are, if you have Michael Jordan's work ethic, and you have Michael Jordan's um, competitiveness, but you're four foot nine, you're not going to be Michael Jordan. Yep. It's, you, there's a certain Michael Phelps, same thing. You, he has a wingspan of an albatross. Like he has a wingspan of like, you know, it's like an eight and a half foot, nine foot wingspan or something. It's crazy like that with a relatively long torso and very, and, and relatively short legs. Like he's he got the mold for a swimmer. So as much as I hate this, um, <laughs> cause I, I, cause I, I think people use it as an excuse. Um, it's the truth. 
There is people, there are people that are born with more certain types of muscle fibers, you know, so they become sprinters rather than endurance athletes. So it's like, it's unfortunately, in the three factors that most determine performance um, on that short list has to be genetics. Yep. Um, Okay, the next one, and this kind of goes in order, right? It's like, what are you born with? And the next one is, becomes the opportunities for which you have. Are you, um, do you have access to great coaching, great facilities, competitive environments, great schooling, great mentors, great instructors, um, uh, the best technologies, the, you know, all of that stuff. So it's like what opportunities are around you. And then the third is essentially like your, your work ethic, your, your effort. That's kind of like, I mean, this is the Malcolm Gladwell. This is the, I mean, this is really what it is. It's like, um, you know, as much as they say, it's not about like, it's all about 10,000 hours. If you kind of read into it, it's not, it's, um, yes, it is about the people that, um, not just spend the 10,000 hours and have them. It's about the people that practice the hardest and most intentionally, which really interesting if you dig into it, it's actually, this is what they don't talk about in the 10,000 hour rule. What's equally as much a correlate to how um, much they practice, this is a cool, you'll like this, Patrick, is what they don't talk about that is how much those um, elite, because it started with violinist, was the original study, mm. is how much they sleep. The elite mm. versus the average slept a, an extra 90 minutes a day per night. Wow. And then those people also took naps. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is crazy. That is crazy. It also it also feeds back into the, the opportunities that you that you just mentioned because you've got like it's all it's all interrelated, right? If you if you don't have the opportunities that somebody else does, and you're kind of equally you know born with the right same genetics and all that stuff, uh, the person who has the ninety the, the two hours extra in the day to sleep suddenly becomes the winner, right? Yeah, exactly. Or um, so this is what happens. I mean, they they expose a lot of this stuff in Outliers and Malcolm um, Gladwell's other books. Um, but essentially, it's like, okay, so there's the kids that are born a little bit bigger, right? So think of like, I mean, this is what the Chinese get kind of um, um, criticized for is that they just take like yep. the, the, the most genetically gifted children and then they put them in these training camps so that you have talent and you have opportunity. And then from there, the kids that can't work hard enough, it's a, it's a, it's a filter. They put them through the grindstone and the kids that can't make it weed themselves out and they're left with world champions. I mean, that is literally those three factors. That's how they're becoming world champions. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the three, like kind of by the book, right? Um, Got it. Yeah. So I'm going to go to like the Ben Bergeron three though. Like this is the, (laughs) this is like the way that I kind of, um, think about it. And the first one is, okay. Um, um, preparedness. So, um, it is about, so like, let's say like what determines performance we're saying performance. So it's like performance at a recital, performance at a competition, performance on uh, a Ted stage, you know, a performance at an event. Like, um, so to me it is how well are you prepared? Like that is preparedness. Now what preparedness does is gives you earned confidence. Like you can have confidence and confident people perform way better than people that are not confident. That is like, 
X's and O's of Performance 101. If you think you're going to crush it, you're going to crush it. You're more likely to crush it. If you think that you're going to, you know, this is all goes on to like the visualization 101 type stuff. So let's talk about preparedness for a second because um, that's where I think that we got to start. Um, to me, preparedness, um, so this is like how much you practice, train, and get ready for this thing. The, the two biggest factors inside of that, so this is inside of, this is 1A and 1B inside of number one, is your environment. So the training practice environment of which you're in. What are your coaches? What are your mentors? What is the, um, um, how positive, how much, how hard are they working? We've said all along like environments is the number one indicator of, um, of change. Um, mm-hmm. And then the next one after that is consistency. Are you, it's kind of the 10,000 hour rule type thing again. It's like you gotta be doing it Again, you know, um, you know the 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 way to learn is to um, tell me, show me, um, and then do it. Repeat, 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 yep. repeat. Re- it's, it's repetitions. So showing up day yep. in, day out. So that's the number one is preparedness. Um, number two, <laughs> it's funny I already alluded to this by mistake, is sleep. Um, mm. I just think that sleep is so massive. Now you could put sleep and nutrition there as well, but I almost think that you could outtrain mm-hmm. a bad diet better than you could outtrain lack of sleep, right? So, mm. and when I say train, that's in athletics, that's in um, um, business, that's in relationships, and the arts. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's I, I think that the old stigma of um, sleep is for the weak, and um, it, uh, I can only sleep four hours. And that means I get four extra hours of productivity and I'm going to win because that, I think that's dying. And I hope it is because the science doesn't, doesn't match up at all. It's just not there at all. Um, so I think that sleep is so massive. I think you getting enough sleep so that you are firing on all cylinders, both cognitively, mentally, and also physiologically, um, is, is so massive. Um, there's so much to show that how, lack of sleep um, is essentially the equivalent of um, having a buzz or you could even be yeah. like, uh, being drunk. And no one's going to be like, I think being drunk is, a, is the key to performance. It's like, <laughs> maybe, if you're, maybe if you're like a, a rock and roll band or something like that, maybe. <laughs> right. Got it. Okay. The last one is, um, I'm going to call it a calm competitiveness. This is very mm. Ben Bergeron-esque, right? Like, um, yeah. w- like competitiveness, like willing to die to win. Like I will win at all costs. Like, cause again, like what drives performance, that was the factors that most determine performance. It is this like competitiveness. Like it's going to, it is, I am going to do like Michael Jordan. Like if you watched that, the last dance, it's like, it's, it, it is, I mean, Factor number one was his competitiveness. And there wasn't even a 1B, there wasn't a 2. There was one factor for why he was as successful as he was. It was his competitiveness. Um, Matt Fraser, same thing, right? It is just that Mm -hmm. in in essence. But it's got to be, there has to be a calm competitiveness to this because otherwise what can happen is you can work yourself into a frenzy and you can never, you can, um, you can, um, spin yourself out of control. Your, your competitiveness can get the best of you. Um, so it has to be like a, a, a level-headedness, a calm competitiveness to you. You know, speaking of Matt Fraser, if you think about Matt Fraser in terms of the, the, the top three, just yep. to give some credibility and a story to um, genetics, opportunity, and uh, work ethic, think of yep. the Matt Fraser story, right? He is the son of two Olympic athletes. 
His mom mm-hmm. and his dad were both Olympians. Genetics. Opportunity. What better way to kind of set up your CrossFit career than to be a nationally ranked weightlifter and an acrobatic skier. So basically take gymnastics at a super high level and weightlifting at a super high level. Okay, so what he's missing there is obviously the the engine. Okay, but he's got incredible work ethic. So you put work ethic on top of those other two and you have Matt Fraser. I didn't know about the skiing part of a part of his his history. That's news to me. Yeah. So that's why he can do like these uh triple round off I'm not yeah. Um, yeah, he was a. Um, yeah, he's a Vermont boy. And that is true. So I guess I shouldn't be too surprised by it. Okay, cool. Um, that was like 14 factors that most determine performance. <laughs> that was good. That was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and then we kind of, I intentionally didn't ask any questions about your uh, your first silver lining because perhaps we can have a, a bit more of a conversation about it. But three signs that will tell you that CrossFit HQ is on the right track. Okay. So, all right. The way I interpret this is like uh, CrossFit is on the right track. So that means like there's new leadership coming in place. How do we know if this yep. right, if this new leadership is, um, uh, doing good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's my first one is what we've always heard in the past. This is going to surprise you. Um, data analytics and measurables. So, yep. So what I'm the only measurable we ever really got out of HQ before was how many affiliates there are. Like think about yep. like the numbers thing, right? For as a as a, as an organization so driven by measurable, observable, repeatable data, what other stuff did we get? We got like yes, the greatest adaptation happens between the ears. We got like um, you know we're solving chronic disease, but it was almost we had to take it at face value because there was nothing else. We mm-hmm. didn't really have the data to support that. So. I would love to see, I'm going to be really specific here, is while all of the, uh, everything was focused on affiliates and Mm -hmm. going from, we now have 5,000 affiliates, we now have 10,000 affiliates, and we got up to 15,000 affiliates. And every CrossFitter that's been around for two years knows how many affiliates there are. Why does that matter to us at all? Like, well, it's the revenue stream for HQ, Mm -hmm. so I get that. That's why that matters. But to me, what they're doing is they're taking the pie and dicing it up as many different ways as they can. So what we didn't hear about was how many people are doing CrossFit. Mm -hmm. That's the number to me that matters. So what I would love to see is the, 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 the focus to be on the end users in terms of growth, not in terms of affiliates. And to me, if they start doing that, that makes it really exciting for affiliate owners because affiliate owners don't get excited about the next 5,000 gyms that are opening up. That makes no sense. Yet they said affiliates are the lifeblood of this organization. They're actually the lifeboats that are saving lives. But our focus is creating more and more and more of those. So you're creating more and more competition amongst ourselves. But HQ isn't driving the end user experience. They're not getting Mm -hmm. more people to participate in this. So if there's a million CrossFitters and there's you know, 15,000 affiliates, you dice them up. Well, my hope is, and this is through the conversation I had with Eric, he actually alluded to this, um, to, to bring that up closer to a hundred million CrossFitters. And now Mm -hmm. like, holy crap, think of the opportunities that come with a hundred million people doing CrossFit. 
Yeah. Now the, that is like if we start focusing on the end user numbers, that's mm. when this thing gets super exciting to me. Yeah, that's interesting. That's like focusing on, you know, focus on the, focusing on the affiliate number is nice, but if you focus instead, like you said, on the, on the end user, the downstream effects of increasing the end users is that affiliates will expand because there'll be simply more demand for it. It's a chicken and egg thing, right? Well, if you have more yeah. affiliates, more people can go and participate in affiliates. Yes, but there's nothing really driving. So let's, let's, what gets measured gets improved. Like that's an yep. old saying that we'll, we'll kind of like take at face value. Okay, if we're going to, if we have to improve, if you have to, and you can only improve one of those two things, because that's what it should be. Like you have to focus on the essential few, right? If you focus yep. on many priorities, they don't happen. So you have to pick one. What is the trade-off? You're going to pick one of those things. You're either going to drive affiliates or you're going to drive end users. Well, to me, the answer is really simple there. If you have... 10,000 affiliates, but no users, like, what do you have? Yep. If you have no affiliates, but a hundred million CrossFitters, like, dude, I'm cool with that. That's mm-hmm. going to be an amazing thing for anybody because we'll all be able to figure out where our right seat is in that new ecosystem. Now, mm-hmm. it's not all or nothing, but I do think it's like we need to be focusing on an essential few. And to me, it should be on the end user experience. So, mm. Um, that's interesting. You know, it's kind of like, that's, that's so think about like in yeah. terms of marketing, right? In terms of like, let's say we're going to, they're going to reinvest into marketing and they have yep. $10 million to pump back into marketing. Do they pump them it back into become a new CrossFit affiliate, sign up to be a new CrossFit affiliate. Everyone come and sign up to be a CrossFit affiliate. Or do they say, sign up and do CrossFit? Like here's the benefits of being a gym owner or here's the benefits of CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Like drive the user experience. I'm very tempted to keep going down this rabbit hole, but that that will be a whole other that'll be a whole other episode. So I won't. We'll save it. But what's uh, what's another uh, what's another good sign that you'll keep an eye out for? Okay, this is um, it's it's uh, been a controversial one for a while, and it's the CrossFit Games. And mm. many people believe that the games are the carrot. They are the things that um, the, the aspiration. They're the motivation. They're the things that. Um, that, that get people excited about participating in this. It's the tip of the spear. Other people yep. believe it is, it's confusing and it's scary and that um, that's not what's happening in the box, so we should actually distance ourselves from the games. I believe that what we should be doing is the professionalization of the games. I believe mm. that the games should be taking the next iterative four or five steps. We saw one as we moved from Aromas to the StubHub Center. From there, that next year, in 2000, um, that was 2010. 2010 yep. to 12, we saw incredible growth. That's when um, yep. Reebok came in. And then from about 14 on, we really haven't seen anything change. Yep. Um, nothing's really changed at all. Um, what I would love to see is the professionalization of this sport so we can, because you think about what happened to CrossFit during those times. I believe it is yeah. the tip of the spear. I believe it is, believe it is the aspirational thing that everyone backfills behind. I think if you show people the way the Navy SEALs train, everyone kind of wants to jump onto that. People don't want to do sweat into the oldies. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. that's just not like, it's get off the carbs, get off the couch is not super exciting to a lot of people. So what I would love to see is um, like, 
a season, a season that can support professional athletes. Right now, these guys can't be supported. If you're not a top 10 annually performing in the top 10, you don't have a career in CrossFit. You can maybe yep. get by with a couple small sponsorship, but you're also probably having to either own a gym or coach at a gym or do something else to support you. If they create a season with greater earning potential, and we danced around this a little bit with sanctionals and stuff like that, but actually more like a PGA type thing or a tennis uh, model, um, you know, a PGA being golf, um, something yep. like that where there's actually a season or NASCAR, right? Where there's a season yep. leading up to a Super Bowl. Um, with that to me would be super exciting. With that, we need to see a players' union. So the player, the players have to have a say in this thing. They like the athletes need to have a say. This cannot be run the way it's been run for a long, long time, which is just mm -hmm. kind of like we call all the shots, and if you don't like us, see you later, you're gone. Um, every super high level in, in the sport kind of is is run with the players first in mind. Um, from there, um, bigger, bigger deals come in both in terms of sponsorships so like it's great that we got Reebok but um where is Chevrolet where's um yeah. Verizon where is um Facebook and Google where is Amazon like we, we could be doing so much more with this things basically what I'm saying is like the UFC right like there's no reason that yep. this sport couldn't be the size of the UFC this couldn't be a hundred hundred million dollar sport on itself outside of what HQ is actually worth so mm -hmm. um and then the TV deals that come along with this and like really trying to that to me would be really exciting I would love to see that happen do you think that can be done within the confines of a CrossFit HQ or do you think it needs to be spun off to be a separate entity? Uh, yes, I think both. I think that CrossFit <laughs> yeah. HQ can still own it and still have massive direction. But I think a company like IMG, which is the big, huge mm. sports and entertainment company um, um, that kind of did this, this is for the UFC, um, would mm -hmm. have a lot to do with this. Basically, you need kind of like a, an additional call it agency driving this thing forward as well outside of yeah. HQ, but HQ can still own it much like Dana White still owns the yep. UFC. Yep. All right. I should say, Another own, I should say own it, but like maybe he, you know, maybe he's chairman of the board or I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know what that is either. Okay. That was number two. What's the third sign that things are heading in the right direction? Okay. It's kind of the flip side of that is, so I think there's mm -hmm. three legs to the, the CrossFit stool, right? It is um, games, it is affiliates and it's seminar staff. Like I, the seminar staff thing mm. is going pretty well. I would love to see like a um, uh, a sports specific certification, kind of like that type of thing. Um, yep. Where like CrossFit, because we've talked forever. Like, well, how do you use CrossFit to train for triathlons? Well, you do CrossFit. How do you use CrossFit yep. to train for football? You you do CrossFit. Like, how do you? But with the the trouble that the NSCA is having with the CSCS and the CSCS is an umbrella that. Um, Certified strength, uh, strength and conditioning credential, or coach, or I don't even know. I have it. I don't even know what it is. Um, I think there's a spot that they can get in there, but that's that's not what this is. I think that the two biggest things yep. for us is because I think that the certification process is insanely awesome. It's amazing. It's yeah. so so damn good. Um, I think what we could do is get more support to the affiliates. Um, so what I would love to see is. Um, I love the affiliate model, which is basically a licensing deal. We pay for the name and the yep. methodology and nothing else from there. It's like, go do your thing. But it'd be cool to get some options that we could pull on if we wanted to. And we would pay mm. for these things, right? So I would love to get some, um, um, like, tell me how to do member onboarding. 
Yep. Okay, tell me how to do, um, or even some like data stuff, right? Like how much should I, what percentage of my revenue should I be allocating towards salaries? And what, okay, that'd be great to know. What is the average um, gym owner um, pay themselves? Mm-hmm. Man, that, as a, that is such a massive question as a young entrepreneur that everyone would love to know. Like, okay, I'm a coach in my gym. I'm also the business owner and call it whatever you want to, CEO. I run, I'm the gym manager. Um, I'm the owner as well. Do I take draws? Like, okay, what should I be allocating for myself? Because what I'll tell you what 90% of affiliate owners are doing is they're paying all their expenses and whatever's left after, that's their paycheck. Yep. And I'm not saying that's the wrong way to do it, but having a reference point of what that should look like. Um, should that be, I'm, I'm living off of $15,000 a year for the first five years while my mm-hmm. part-time coaches are earning $25,000? That doesn't seem right. Am I doing this the wrong way? Because this is the only way I can stay afloat. Like some sort of like analytics in terms of the way that the life cycle of being an entrepreneur in this small business environment, small gym ownership would work, would be huge. Mm. Okay. So like you are in, 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 um, you are in rural middle America, you're in farmland America. What should you be looking to pay for your lease? Like that's, mm-hmm. we could very easily through some data analytics, figure that out and give that advice to newbie affiliate owners. You should be looking yep. to pay X number per square foot or tell us your square foot. We should be telling you what you pay for, for rent. Okay. We could help you out with rent negotiations. Like we could figure that out. Like we can help you out there, like give you some resources, the things you should be on the lookout for. So things like, I mean, there's so much that we could do to be supporting affiliates if they truly are the lifeblood of what we do. Um, you know, that is not Directing. I'm not saying franchise. Actually, if you if this becomes a franchise, yeah. I'm out. I'm gone because um, I don't want to. I want to be my own boss. But there is a thing between licensing and franchise. That's like the two ends of the spectrum. What I'm saying is, let's go like a couple dominoes in. Not saying you have to do this. Not you have to sell this protein. Not you have to do this. But um, here are some available resources if you like to 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 take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Do you get a sense of, you know, if we flash back 10 or 11 years now, when you were first thinking about becoming an affiliate, do you think that that, if that existed, whatever that is, um, if that existed, would that have been more attractive to you? Would you have been more resistant to it? I mean, obviously you didn't know what you know now, but, um, do you think that that would be, I guess the question really is, is do you think that something like that would, um, incentivize or, or lower, even lower the barrier to more people opening up gyms because you take away some of the, a lot of the scary parts of it, the things that, that you don't know until you, until you get through it. Yeah. So I, I probably, I didn't know what I didn't know then. I still don't know what I don't know now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but back then I certainly didn't know anything about running a business and it would have been really nice to just have some available resources. Back then what we had was yeah. a forum. Um, a forum with a bunch of other people that didn't know what the heck they were doing. So it wasn't, <laughs> yeah. you just described the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, particularly the internet back in like 2005, six, seven, eight, yeah. that was, that's when this yeah, was. Totally. Um, so, you know, what we were told was do the right things for the right people for all the right reasons. And I was like, okay. So what that meant, yep. what that meant to me was if I saw somebody that I thought was a cool person, um, I was going to hire them. And I did that. And put us mm-hmm. in a really bad financial place. If I knew what percentage of my revenue should be going towards salaries, and once I hit that cap, I would be like, I can't hire another person. Like, I don't know. But for me, it was like, you bring people on, you give them opportunities. Um, 
it would have been, it would have quelled, it would have, I think it would have incentivized me a fair amount, particularly for the things like, um, this is what normal startup capital looks like. If you're going to open mm. up a gym with this much square footage and you expect this many members per class, this is what we could help you expect to spend in um, build-out costs if you want to have a, a changing room and some showers and in terms of equipment and in terms of getting the other stuff going a website, domain name, some membership software, paying for some business cards, like just kind of that really 101 financial forecasting would have got, cause that's the thing that most of us struggle the most with in the early days. And honestly, it took me about eight years to even, it wasn't until I hired a full-time finance person that figured out, I was like, holy crap, this actually matters. This is, uh, <laughs> this so it's to the point where I think that like um, understanding numbers and finance, back when I first started this, it was like pursuit of excellence, just make the customer experience amazing. And like, um, you yeah. know, just like as long as they're getting the best hour of their day and you are passionate, you will succeed. Um, that is enough to get your product good. Your mm -hmm. product only gets you so far. And what happens is as your product gets better and better, your need to scale becomes higher and higher. And don't think like multiple gyms. You need to hire another coach just to coach more classes. Because in the beginning, if you're yeah. a personal trainer, you're kicking ass and you're running awesome, all of a sudden the demand gets so high that you probably like, oh my gosh, there's so many hours in the day, I'm going to hire another coach. And then now what you're doing is you have now created uh, problems of scale where you are trying to take what your vision, what you're creating, your expertise to, um, to a, um, a, a different level. And yep. that brings in so many more challenges than I think any of us as um, coaches could possibly expect. And mm -hmm. it's why what you see a lot of times is founders um, don't become the best CEOs. Um, there's yep. actually a lot of research out there that some say like um, having a founder stay on um, a part of the business is incredibly important because it keeps the ethos and the, the, the entrepreneurial vibe in there as well. But there's also this thing where like um, as a business scales to a certain point, they become extremely detrimental to the business because... Um, they created it more for the passion and the lifestyle and um, that aspect of it, and they haven't figured out how to run it efficiently. And this was me, yep. case in point number one, is I was able to get the product up pretty good. We won the CrossFit Games, and we got up to like 300 plus members in a very short time. I had to hire coaches, and I hired nine coaches. All of a sudden, oh my gosh, I don't know how to manage. I don't know how to do the finances. I don't know how to um, budget. I don't know how to... Um, and what I kept on saying to myself was, well, the next 25 members will be out of the hole and the next 25 members will be out of the hole. And I always put this farther along and what you find out is that, you're, is that's a, that story isn't true. It's about, yeah. it's about becoming um, financially and fiscally responsible. Um, and when you figure out how to run your business, so case in point, at one point we had 415 members and um, we are losing money. We mm. now have 365 members and we are making plenty of money. Mm -hmm. uh, so we are 50 members less and we're running a much more efficient, effective and profitable. And profit does matter if you go, if you don't have profit, you're not going to, you're not going to be around and you certainly can't yep. withstand, I think something like COVID. 
So um, while we've been ingrained in this community to like um, money is the evil, it's the opposite of excellence, to a certain extent, I'm not saying run your business to make money. That should be the purpose. I do believe in Greg Glassman saying that business is the art and science of providing unique opportunities for others. I really do believe that. And that's both for your staff and for customers. A unique opportunity is buying the new iPhone. That's an amazingly unique opportunity to buy a slick, very consumer-friendly piece of technology. Much like a great user experience at a CrossFit gym is a unique opportunity. I do believe that is the heart of what business is. What comes with that, though, for sustainability is um, leadership. And uh, if you want to put separate from that, because it might even be underneath the umbrella of leadership, is um, understanding how to fiscally and financially run the business. And without those two things of leadership, I'll go go three things, leadership, product, and finance. Um, You kind of need those three things. Yep. Love it. That was a lot. Um, that was three silver linings you're paying attention to three factors that most determine performance and three signs that CrossFit HQ is perhaps on the right track. Thank you everyone for listening, Ben. Thank you very much. And we'll see everybody next week. You can get every episode of chasing excellence, wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube until next time. Thank you for listening.